0: Contempt is often the gateway to divorce, to value relationships, to all of those things. And I remember like as I started shifting in my own life to get to this place of really just a tremendous amount of self-compassion in that I realized like, wait a second, I don't want to be afraid. I was going to say I don't want to be feared. I don't want to be afraid of having everything, having a great relationship, having great friendships, having all of this stuff. And it really came down to just sitting down and going, what do I want? And and at the beginning, you talked about manifestation. And I I think that it's such a fucking buzzword right now that people don't understand even how to do it. They're just like, I'm manifesting all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but wait a second. You're probably missing the boat here somewhere. So I'd love for you to kind of just break down, like, what does manifesting actually mean, especially in terms of love?
1: Yeah. So there are steps and i mean each chapter of my book is essentially a different step and by the way even though it's called manifesting you can use these these tricks these tools these nuggets of wisdom and you can apply it to everything in life so the first step we've already gone over is loving yourself you have to love yourself because our outside our outside experience is a reflection of our inner reality so we already went over that you need to love yourself So you're actually showing up as your authentic self to manifest that aligned match. It's about attracting. And this is the law of attraction buzzword also, however, very real, literally very real. You were just saying before, you feel like sometimes things are even like you said, eerie. I would say like crazy. It's crazy. Like, um, I don't know. Things are happening to me all the time. I I was randomly thinking about this guy the other day and then I, I, Got a, or i was telling my husband a story about this random man that had sent me a message on facebook and then i had written to my friend who i was asking if he's related to this guy because this guy was a little creepy anyhow i was just telling my husband that story and as i'm telling him i receive a message on facebook from my friend who i would sent a message to, but i would sent him a message i don't know days earlier i hadn't thought about it, and like in that moment so this is an example of, of how we're constantly, like when you're in this zone, you're just connected. So you want, that's a point, that's a point. You want to be connected to yourself so you can be connected to the universe, which I'll get more into in my book. Trust me, it makes sense. So you want to be connected to yourself, love yourself, so you can manifest that which is aligned with you. You need to, once again, trust. Trust yourself. You need to cultivate this intuition. Be in your integrity always. It is the most powerful, wonderful feeling to just trust yourself on your manifesting journey. You don't need to ask a million people. Trust yourself. Get really, get really connected with yourself. Along those lines, something that I tell my clients to do is before you go to sleep at night, make a list of about 10 I am statements. I am smart. I am worthy, whatever you say. I am beautiful inside and out. And you say those right before you go to sleep. And that, that starts to help the process of getting connected with yourself. I do have a free gift, which is seven days of manifesting love, affirmations and manifestations. I mean, and um, exercises, which that is one of the exercises. Um, so I can share the link with you. Um, so that anyhow, to wrap this up, and I don't want to give everything away, but a few other aspects of manifesting are you need to believe that it's going to happen. Like, literally, you have to believe it's going to happen, or it's not going to happen. Visualize. Living as if it's already happening. I tell my clients to undo both sides of the bed at night. The universe needs to know there's room to even bring this person in, okay? When you set a place setting for dinner, I don't know if anybody actually does that, or you pour a glass of wine or pour some, you're eating dinner, put a plate, put a plate and some silverware for for your lovely guest with you and also have them and start to have the mentality of you are in a couple and what it would feel like. And once again, I have exercises and tools for this. And the cool thing about visualization is that our brain doesn't know the difference between something actually happening and it not happening. So the more that we actually live as if it's happening, the more easily it will come into our life. And that's also why it's important not to live in the past because if you're living in that mentality of the past,
0: you're not healing. You Mention the word confidence a few times. What does that actually mean?
2: Yeah, that great. It's a word that's so interesting. <clears throat> My mom will always say you have so much, you've always had so much confidence. Um, I, I know that there's a definition of confidence in you know, the dictionary that y'all can look up, but for me, it's a belief because I, and maybe courage is a better word because I feel like I'm scared a lot of the time when I'm doing something. I feel very nervous, um, because I'm excited about it and I want it to go a certain way. Um, I also don't know how it's going to go. Right. We all, you and I, you've been in business a long time. You have an idea of how things are going to go and then tech can happen or something like something can happen. So, but for me, it's a belief in what I am doing and how I'm creating things that solve people's problems. And I know if you're listening to this, you're like, how does Pilates solve the world's problems? Um, because I think a lot of people don't know who they are and they can't, they don't spend time with themselves. And they, when they do, they're shaming themselves and they're talking negatively to themselves. So to me, confidence is a, is it's a belief in myself in that even if I screw it up, even if I do it wrong, it's gonna be okay because I'm going to just show up again tomorrow and I'm going to learn from it. So it's less, it's less that dictionary word of like, I'm so good at something. I've done it so much. I'm so confident in it. I'm nervous all the time. Um, my husband was recording an event that I had to teach at and there was 85 people in the room, which doesn't sound like a lot. If you teach that ten, 10, talk to 10,000, but I had 85 people. I was teaching in one room. And that at the time was years ago. I'd never taught 85 people in a room. And in the front row was a bunch of people who've never done Pilates before that flew out. A company flew them out to take my class. There's also like other famous Pilates instructors who took the time to take my class. And then there's all these other people. And I looked at my husband and I said, oh my God, I'm so nervous right now. He said, how is this any different than what you're already doing? And there was that moment that I realized that, you know, I think a lot of us get nervous and scared. We, doing a thing we already had confidence in doing. So for me, I just really try to focus on believing in what I'm doing and just doing the things that I know I can, I believe in, I believe I can do. And um, and then, and the confidence and the courage and all of that comes.
0: 100%. I, a thought comes to mind and I'll butcher this, so I apologize, but I was listening to Kobe Bryant do uh, an interview and he was asked about being nervous taking game-winning shots. They said, I'm never nervous taking game-winning shots because I've already practiced it a thousand times in the gym. And I think that's such a relatable concept. People ask me all the time before I get on stage, even last week in New York City, they were like, are you nervous? I'm like, no. And the response that people get is sh- give me a shocking because they're like, wow, you're so confident. I'm like, yeah, but you weren't there when there were two people. Four people, the mirror, me practicing in this, in my head, 10,000 times. And, and that's the truth about, it. I'm, I'm in full agreement with you. If you're not willing to go through the suffering of the doing it at repetition to create proficiency, you'll never be able to do it when it's on the line. You know, you see all the time in real life scenarios, those who are unprepared because they're going to fail. And I would rather fail in practice than fail during game time. You know, Iverson's thing about practice, practice, practice. We're talking about practice. It's just practice. Like that's so important because it is the practice in which you gain the tools to be proficient and yeah. build the confidence to show up when it's time to execute. And it sucks. like, honestly, like practicing sucks. Like it's boring. Oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I used to, because people ask this, it's a great question. People ask, how are you so confident when you do video? right? Like, cause I, now everyone has to do video. Like you all, everyone, you all have to learn how to look at the dot on the screen, not the person's eyes, like all the things like how did, but how did you do that? Because I've been teaching online for years. I've been teaching online before people got on zoom. And I said, you know, what's really funny. I took a random commercial acting class and they make you, they make you practice looking at a post-it note while you make your bed. And you are like selling an Amex while you're making your bed. And so I practiced Talking to post-it notes in my house, doing this thing, and it ended up happening that when a very famous company brought me on to teach a Pilates class, they're like, "Wow, you're a natural." No, not a natural. I've been practicing talking to a post-it note while swiffering my floors. <laughs> you know these things. And so, um, I I think people they look at other people doing stuff and they think that it was so easy for them. They don't see the practice. They don't see like the Kobe Bryant practicing game-winning shots in practice, right? They don't see you, the twos and the fours. And when they see us, they see, oh, where we've come, where we're at now, not where we came from. And I challenge anyone listening that's like going, oh gosh, it's so easy for them. Whenever you say that to yourself, I want you to picture them actually starting with two people and four people, because that's what they did. No, no one is starting off at 10,000. And by the way, you don't want to, you don't want your first speech to be in front of 10,000 people. I promise.
0: We'll be right back to today's show. But first, I need to ask you a question. Are you feeling stuck? Are you feeling like you don't have the support to go to the next level in your healing journey? Are you feeling like you wish you had a little bit more support from not only myself, but the Unbroken Nation? Well, my friend, I want to invite you to come and join our live weekly coaching sessions in Think Unbroken. All you have to do is go to keys, K-E-Y-S, keys.thinkunbroken.com to sign up and join us today with 100% money back, no questions asked, guaranteed and no contract or commitment every week for the next year you can come and be a part of our live coaching sessions each Monday as we dive deep into not only answering your questions but questions from the unbroken nation and help you take all of the information that you learn in the podcast in the courses and other areas of this journey bring them into your life and use it in a way that is practical life-changing and transformative so my friend join us at keys.thinkunbroken.com and we will see you this monday you talked about in your own journey this this aspect of recognizing a decade in that it wasn't until you started doing this inner child work that you started to create the space to be able to move into something healthy and safe and secure what's the correlation there
3: with uh, inner child healing yeah oh yes oh gosh I have a lot of thoughts on this topic. You know, some people find it kind of strange coming from me. So I'm originally a, I'm a registered psychotherapist, eventually became a coach, and I have honestly found in a lot of my own training as a mental health practitioner, there's been so much emphasis on the CBD, uh, CBT, not CBD, sorry, <laughs> though I love that as well, CBT. Um, And these eight-week programs and these, you know, two-week, two-session programs, I've done it all, Michael, and nothing has hit me the way it did in those innermost, deeper layers as looking at attachment and inner child work. That's just been my honest uh, experience. You know, I would go to certain sessions and they would say, oh, you just have anxiety. Right. Let's just, let's give you this medication to treat, treat your anxiety. Then you'll be fine in relationships and in other, other types of modalities. I would go to, uh, you know, dating gurus and learn about how to dress properly on dates. Right? Like that was the fucking problem that I wasn't wearing a dress. And that was the reason why I was attracting the wrong people. Right. And everything was just so surface layer. You know, this was why I was so drawn to your work as well, Michael, because you really get it that it has everything to do with the way we are wired and we are wired in our childhood. You know, it's crazy that I I didn't even learn about that in my therapy school. But um, when I first went went to my first inner child coach, um, it was actually a guy, believe it or not. And we actually had nothing in common. He was like um, a 40-something white of, you know, man, he was like a a skateboard champion and, you know, like in Canada, so random. We had nothing in common other than the fact that he had a very messed up childhood and he was now in a happy relationship. I I saw those two things, put it together. I thought, that's where I was. You're where I want to (laughs) be. Like, let's work together. And he helped me look at the way that my parents raised me to be and how I literally took that blueprint And just extrapolated that onto all of these people I was dating. And it was like, oh my God, it was like breakthrough after breakthrough of seeing all these connections, but also things that I could actually do differently by reparenting myself, giving myself the needs that weren't met in me as a kid, and not looking towards other people to fill that cup for me. But it was almost like unlocking the superpower like, oh, wow, I can actually my own cup it was like tapping into this inner reservoir that i didn't even know was there um and i just ended up feeling so abundant and so full and you know when i parted waves with my coach two years later i just felt like a totally different person and i i don't think i would have been able to get there if i hadn't gone into those deeper layers of the inner child work
0: yeah and and, and it's a scary place right and i I think people don't understand how much you will discover about yourself. And I mean ultimately, when I wrote my second book, 8 Steps to Healing Your Inner Child, mm. I mean it's it's pretty simple. It's a pretty foundationally straightforward book. It's not it's not as in-depth as some of the other things I've written, but it's just like if you're willing to look at these things, Like just nakedly, unabashedly, honestly, you're going to find some shit out about yourself, you know (laughs) what I'm saying? And you're going to end up in this place where you're like, fuck, like, this is this is who I am, not necessarily only because of my my wiring, my programming, you know, sometimes it's grooming and enmeshment, but also it's the choices that you're making. It's the decisions that you make. And and unfortunately, there's a reconciliation that you're going to have to have with the truth of who you are and understanding radical responsibility in terms of Mm -hmm. making better decisions. And and I think one of the difficult things for me was there's a space in which you have to evaluate the value that you have and what you are worth. And there's a conversation about worthiness here. And I I like, I kind of attribute this to the same as being an entrepreneur or a business owner, or even just working in a career, like getting paid what you're worth. You know, there are people who just undervalue themselves so drastically. Mm. And I'm like, fuck that. Get what you're worth in relationships, in career, in life, everything, because you can and you deserve it. But like, I can't force feed that to you. You have to be able to create that in yourself. And more so, you have to be able to, and this is my thought about it, continuously do incredibly uncomfortable things to build the confidence to own that. How much of that feels true in this journey for you?
3: Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. Right? It's almost like with fitness coaching, I can't do your push-ups for you. You know, you have to. You really do have to be at a point where you are ready to face the music, because as beautiful as this healing journey is, it can be quite painful. I don't think we can sugarcoat it and say, "Oh, it's all just going to be, you know, rainbows and fairies and butterflies," but. It really is the shadow work, right? Where you are taking the most honest, good, hard look at yourself and the parts of you that feel really icky and shameful and uncomfortable, and it's you know bringing all of that out on the table and 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 looking at it and being okay with it takes a lot of courage for sure, and it can take some pe- people a little bit of time before they're ready to get to that place, but only you can truly acknowledge when you are ready right there's never going to be an external time where all the lights are green are green at the same time Um, but I believe that readiness is an internal process and it's an internal choice that you are going to make this happen not dictated by everything around you so I fully believe that
0: We have the opportunity, even though we go through these very terrible emotional, physical ailments, right? Because I would argue that the illness is more emotional than it is physical at times, debilitating, painful, you know, things of this nature. What was really the precursor and the catalyst for you deciding to take back your life by learning, by getting educated, by trying literally what it sounds like, everything? What was that like for you?
4: I think that stems back to a core belief that I developed in childhood, that I am strong and I need to advocate for myself. And I know a lot of times we hear about core beliefs and a lot of times they can be negative core beliefs, right? I am not enough. I I don't deserve healing. All of these things that we can kind of be stuck with. And Of course, I have my fair share of those that I've had to learn and address over the years, but this was a core belief that really helped me and guided me throughout the process. So I remember, you know, during some of my deepest darkest moments, uh, you know, a point where if, if you've had Lyme disease or you've had like a parasitic infection, they can be similar in, in the fact that you can have hallucinations and I was having one. And if you've ever experienced a hallucination, you just, it's like, you're not yourself. You're somebody totally different. And it's horrifying. And I remember experiencing that. I'd never experienced anything like it. And I was lying on the ground and I was crying and I was like, I just want to die. Like, this is horrible. I'm not myself. You know, and looking back, I'm like, okay, that was my nervous system. That was like my limbic system in overdrive, the emotional uh, feeling, reacting brain, just firing and firing and firing, surviving, right? And I was like, I don't think I can survive this. And I remember having a moment where I thought, this can't be it. (laughs) This can't be all that there is. And I think that core belief of I am strong and I am my advocate, it did shine through even in that moment, like that was probably the worst moment of despair. I just very, uh, very vividly remember lying on the ground and what that felt like. That shone through, even though I didn't feel it, even though I didn't really believe it it was there. And then the fact that I became aware of it made me realize in other situations when that core belief came out. So then I, I went to see a therapist who told me, oh, your story is the worst story. This was an 80 year old therapist. And she said, your story is the worst story I've ever heard just with your childhood trauma. And Um, dealing with this chronic disease. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, it can't be. (laughs) I was like, there's no way this is the worst story she's ever heard. I want to prove her wrong. I'm strong. And I'm my advocate. And I would go see practitioners. And they would say, oh, You know, just like you probably experienced, Michael, of of going through POTS and E. coli and, and these types of conditions, you know, my practitioners, most of them that I saw would say something along the lines of, well, you're just going to have to make yourself comfortable uh, and live with this for the rest of your life. And that core belief that was there was like, no, no, I am not. I'm going to prove you wrong. And that was my motivator for change, my catalyst for change of, I want to prove these people wrong who supposedly they know best, right? No. I know best, I have healing properties within me. I believe in my body and I believe in my immune system. And luckily that neural pathway in my brain related to strength and resilience was strong despite my circumstances, my internal environment, my body, my external environment, what was going on around me. That neural pathway was still strong and that just strengthened and strengthened and strengthened. And when I read about neuroplasticity and I learned that we can retrain our brains to basically communicate a signal of resilience, a signal of health through accessing our natural resilience, which is our parasympathetic rest and digest or growth and repair response, And when we operate from that response more often than not, and our autonomic nervous system responses are balanced, that fight-flight response, that freeze response, that fawn response, that um, growth and repair response, when we can kind of easily bounce back between all of those responses, that's when we start to feel better. Blood flow gets sent to our GI tract to digest food, you know, we actually communicate through ourselves, and through our genetic expression, a new way of being, we actually can change the way our genes expressed through releasing feel good neurochemicals like dopamine, when we laugh, or oxytocin, when we give somebody a hug, or we give to somebody in need. So those are very you know, small, tangible examples of how we can change our neurochemistry to help us to feel better and to even shift our health and put focus on on our immune systems. And so when I read about this, I had learned about it in PA school, a a very kind of small snippet of what I know now, but it was so empowering to me. And at that point, after dealing with this condition for a year, I was like I need something empowering. I have outsourced so much of my my ability to heal on external resources, right? Other practitioners, other people, other things, supplements even, other tools that may help a little bit and may have got me gotten me to a place where I could use these neuroplastic tools but I was so tired of outsourcing my healing. I wanted at that point to tap into my natural resilience. And to me, learning about brain retraining was really empowering because it followed that same trajectory of one of my favorite neural pathways, one of my favorite core beliefs of I am strong and I am my own advocate.
0: Hey Unbroken Nation, we'll be right back to the show. But I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, Unbroken.